WKCRHD1, WKCR.org, and this is Jazz Alternatives. My name is Mitch Goldman. We call the show Deep Focus, and what we do on these Mondays from time to time, we invite a guest into the studio, and uh, often a composer-performer of some merit and renown, and ask them to give us a topic of... Uh, that merits our attention. And we're, we're hitting tens in every category tonight. It is my great pleasure to welcome back to the WKCR studios, David Soldier. Welcome back. Thanks, Mitch. It's a pleasure. How long has it been since you and I were in this studio together? Oh, I don't know. At least 20 years, probably longer. But I'm going to take... Remember Phil Schapp used to always call this place home of technical difficulties. And... Uh, we got one right now. My headphones aren't working, so I'm going to take them off. As you like. Okay. As you like. And uh, we have we have options. I bet they haven't repaired the headphones since <laughs> 25 years or however long it's been. You know what's funny? It's actually a brand new studio since then. Damn. <laughs> and we still merit You that. just ruined my story. I know. But no, it's, that's a crazy thing. It's still, it still applies. It still works. Yeah. Well... David, as you know, as you know, maybe some listeners don't know, you are were then and are now a composer, an author, a music conceptualist, and a impassioned music lover. And uh, we'll leave your scientific pursuits out of this for the moment. But um, you're one of the people that I thought of actually when I came up with this deep focus idea, and and you did not let me down, by which I mean when I opened the door, uh, ideas came flooding out at me. (laughs) (laughs) Any one of which would have been a home run. Well, we almost did Joni Mitchell, right? And Kurtis played uh, a setting of a Joni Mitchell song. So that we almost did a Joni Mitchell evening. I hope we can do that some other time. I would love that. But this topic that we are diving into tonight is uh, a little closer to the bone, I think. Well, they both are, but this is, yeah. But, I mean, this is a special one for me because as Stealing Your Thunder, this was a show that I saw when I was 16 at a little, well, not that little, but uh, to New Yorkers, an unknown bar in northeast Connecticut called the Shabu Inn. Uh, should I say more about it? or Yeah, we haven't even said who our topic is of uh, focus. Well, that's your job. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. All right. Well, I was in high school. And uh, there were, I don't know, the, the weird kids listened, as they probably still do, actually, as I know they still do, to, like, 
the Velvet Underground and what have you. And uh, and I also listened a lot to salsa, which uh, so I grew up in the Midwest, and my dad died when I was young, and he was young. And my mom uh, married a fellow in Storrs, Connecticut, where the University of Connecticut is. So junior year, I moved there, and I heard salsa and just went crazy for Eddie Palmieri and, uh, and that music. And then um, I loved jazz, and I loved country and western and R&B. And uh, the jazz that you could hear, this is, this is hard for young people to believe, but the only way you could really hear it is the little bit they'd have on the radio, which there was the college radio at University of Connecticut. And if you... Very uh, good station, by Yeah, the way. excellent, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Um, but not a lot of jazz. And um, otherwise, you'd have to go to the local record store and order the record. Wow. Right? So you have to wait for the, you'd go in there and say, hey, I want the new, you know, uh, I want the new Roy Ayers record or something. He also played played there, by the way. But we, you go in there and say, I want the new Roy Ayers record. And three three weeks later, it would show up. They'd give you a phone call and you'd go there and buy the record. So they had a bunch of Miles Davis records, but they were all old ones. And I love them, you know, and I listened like everybody did to the stuff with Coltrane and up until Wayne Shorter. Well, we heard or read that Miles was going to play the Shabu Inn at Willimatic, Connecticut, and it was kind of hallucinatory. What the hell is Miles Davis going to play in Willimantic, Connecticut? And uh, I asked all my friends in high school. Only one of them would go with me. So she and two of her girlfriends came. And uh, should I tell about the, the evenings? Sure. Well, the first evening we show up, concert's supposed to start at eight or nine. It's like one in the morning, no miles. And I go to the bartender and said, is he going to play tonight? Right. And he said, uh, no. And he, <laughs> he, he told me why. And just for the sake of it, I'm going to pass on, on telling people why. Um, well, but you, you can tell guess. us what this guy said. You can report. I can that. say that because I, Miles is gone, but his family still. Well, the family doesn't make a mystery. Though. No, they, I mean this. What you could report what you were told, and if you, uh, it's up to you. He he was he was not in a state. The bartender told me in. People can email me, but he he said uh, Miles is not in a state to play tonight. So we came back the next night. Miles's activities during this period, so this is 1974, are well documented, and he was uh, abusing a lot of drugs at the time and abusing himself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's uh, they said no, he's not he's not going to play tonight. He's upstairs, but he's not going to play. They that sometimes the band would stay up at the Shabu Inn, and sometimes they would stay at the Willimantic Motor Lodge. Mm-hmm. The chef of which, this little motor lodge, was David Booley. Who, really? Yeah, wow. yeah. So all these Booley places here in New York, he, he was the he was the cook at the, well, he started the Willimantic <laughs> Motor Lodge. If you don't know him, he was a, he's an absolute star yeah. New York City chef. Yeah. And restaurateur. Yeah. So we're, uh, yeah, so we went back the next night again, you know, it says eight or nine o'clock. Uh, um, I was sixteen, maybe just turned seventeen. I guess I did, and but they never carded, so you could just go anywhere. Nobody so, did. Back no, then nobody that, I did. Mean, so I heard so much great music at the Shabu Inn. I heard the incredible string band play for several nights. I heard so many great, you know, Muddy Waters, 
Holland Wolf used to play there. We just had the most wonderful acts that would come in to the Shabu. Why would they go to Willimantic? I guess because it's kind of a stopping point between New York and Boston, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, I mean, there were... Uh, I'm, my experience of uh, booking bands not too long after that was, you know, you didn't want to ruin your play in New York or Boston, but if you could get just far enough away, it was easy to route, it was easy to drive. And so a place like that or, you know, Northampton, Mass was always right. a great stop or some of the college towns... And it didn't really show up on the radar. You didn't, you know, there was yeah, no internet. nobody knew. So, yeah, you could play. You could, uh, the vibe was a little different. There was, there wasn't the same kind of pressures. And uh, it's funny, you know, sometimes, I don't know the specific situation there. Maybe you do. But, you know, you might be, find a dodgy sound system or something. But there would be a vibe that would just be unique. Yeah, and the bands would come in there. I remember once... Commander Cody and his Lost Planet oh, Airmen yeah. came in, and they asked they somehow they knew I was a fiddle player and Andy Stein was going to quit and 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 they and so they said oh you know come over you know try out for the band um, and they ended up give, giving me right because I lived about I don't know twelve miles away way out in the country and I didn't have a car <laughs> so they took their they took the their tour bus and dropped me off at the house, <laughs> at my house <laughs> so you mean you were a Lost Planet Airman. No, no, I didn't get the gig. I, you know, um, for one night even. No, because um, the, to to fill Andy's chair, and I believe Andy still, I think he's in the Vince Giordano Nighthawks. The guy's an incredible musician, but he doubles on on sax, and he's a great sax player too. So I couldn't I couldn't do the charts. They needed somebody that that, yeah. that doubles. Um, but that's the you know I just I would just. I was a kid, and I was meeting all these wonderful players. Uh, there was a bluegrass band that came in there, uh, a guy named Jack. I forgot his last name, but Bela Fleck was in the band. So I remember they auditioned me there, too. And I, I think Bela and I were both 15, maybe, wow. at the time. I didn't get that gig, gig either. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and I haven't seen or heard Bela Fleck since. I mean, I've heard his <laughs> records and yeah. stuff, but, you know. But, I mean, it was just a way to... Going to the Shabu uh, uh, and the Sundown Inn were the local bars with music, and, and you just meet everybody. Remember when you and I, many years ago, did a gig with, where NRBQ was the house band, and I yeah. first met NRBQ yeah. when I was, again, I was 15 or 16 at, at the Sundown Inn. So there was a lot of active music happening. There. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it was all really cheap, and they didn't card you. So as a 15-year-old, uh, I was able to hear all those groups and because as you were saying the audiences were small so for miles i would say there were 50 or 60 people that is remarkable right and this was a time he was only playing new york once a year or something like that and uh but he would play the shabu for three nights but really for two nights so the next night and i guess we're going to hear the pirated recordings from that um again he was supposed to start maybe eight or nine o'clock i believe it started at midnight or one. You know, it's still, I was going like, is he going to play or not? I mean, the band's here, but is he going to play? And they did an incredible set, and they took a break, and then they did the other set. And I remember, you know, I couldn't tell what the tunes were because, first of all, like I was saying, I mean, we didn't have the contemporary stuff. When he came out 
with two electric guitars, especially with Pete. Maybe I knew about Ayerto with mm-hmm. all the small instruments, but I didn't know. You know, here's Pete Cozy with all his small instruments, and it was kind of mind blowing all of a sudden. And definitely, there were there was no recorded miles that was available that sounded anything like this. Yeah, it was such a shock that I went to my three girlfriends and said, "Okay." You know, because they they're all want to talk, and they want to talk about Miles and how he's dressed and, and right. all this stuff. And I said, I'm not going to – sorry, guys. I'm not going to talk to you the rest of the night when he's playing. I'm going up to the front, and don't talk to me because the music was so weird yeah. that I really didn't understand it. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, I said, yeah. yeah, but considering who this is, I know there's a the logic there, and I'm going to stand there until I understand it. And it took about, you know, an hour or so, and I go like, okay – I'm getting this. It was a very profound experience for me, maybe the most profound concert-going experience in my life. Um, it just changed uh, the the way I thought of what you could do in, in music. So I'm very fortunate to have done that. And then Sunday they had another concert. Maybe one day that will show up too. So I was uh, talking or emailing some of you, KCR people know this, uh, Ross Moshe Burnett. Yeah, he's been on this show. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Ross is a real, as you know, is a real scholar of recordings, more so than anybody I know except Phil, <laughs> except <laughs> Phil Shop. I mean, Ross knows everything on every record, and he knows a different era than Phil knew. Um, and he said, "Well, somebody recorded it. <laughs> I think this is off the. I think this is off the." Uh, uh, the mixing board and you and I were just talking about that and maybe it was off the mixing board we're kind of, I have no idea if somebody if <laughs> be a miracle if Dave Liebman was listening because we're going to hear some beautiful Dave Liebman yes. uh, in a minute uh, but maybe one of his friends or something it would be interesting to know if this was a Dave Liebman recording or if as Ross thought it was just off the pirated off the board uh, but whatever it is, it's a pretty damn good recording. Yeah, it's very, uh, very listenable. Very. I mean, you look for this kind of music, which, you know, the other thing, going into different venues and different nights. I don't know if they had their own. Maybe they had their own sound man. Um, but you know, this was jarring. The, oh, the yeah. textures for a, for a, even a qualified audio engineer. It's still to, jarring now. Yeah, but I just mean it's like fifty year old music. That's yeah, still it's still. The music of the future, even now. I agree completely. And for listeners, you'll get it in a minute. We're jawing a lot, but just hold on, and you're <laughs> going to hear. <laughs> you're going to hear how astonishing this work is. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and how, how challenging, even now, how difficult it is to listen to. It really is. Yeah, it just do. I mean, it's easy for me to say, but do what I did when I was 16. There you, you go. You just listen and after a while i guarantee you it will make sense you were talking about the recording i was just going to say it's a, it's a very credible recording you can hear all the instruments which exactly. to me that's the measure of and you couldn't uh, live yeah right live that was live thing. i really i could hear pete cozy quite well uh well you were right in front you were probably getting a lot of stage volume i was getting a lot of stage and i couldn't hear Dave Liebman very well, except when, my, my, so Miles would do hand gestures quite a bit and get the band to stop or get them to play more quietly. And they, they followed him constantly. Everybody was staring at Miles all the time. 
and he would just do a very light gesture. I know as a band leader how hard it is to do that, to do a small gesture and get the players to to uh, to follow. But he was a master in, uh, at this, and, and he could, you know, quiet now, just with just a small gesture. Your, your solo, okay, now it becomes a duo. You answer each other or just drop out, you know. Um, so he when he did that, you could hear the saxophone and the flute. But most of the other time, it was, it was very hard. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of sound coming from the brilliant Al Foster on, on Trap Set and the brilliant M. Tume. Um, and that on just kind of— Percussion and percussion. Mostly conga, but yeah. a little bit on slit drum that I remember. And so, uh, it, yeah, it was hard to hear all the instruments. Particularly, it was hard to hear the saxophone and the flute. Except, I mean, you could hear them when the band became quieter. And there's at least one of these numbers where the band plays quietly uh, throughout. Uh, I think it's Calypso for Limo. And if we're going to listen in order, it's uh, the last uh, tune, actually. Uh, When we're going to start, the beginning of the first set, um, everybody's (laughs) playing pretty hard. (laughs) (laughs) And this is one of the, I think you use this, it's about the fiercest group I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. You listen to this. I think we're going to start, well, the second tune. I I guess we'll take little breaks between because these are very long. Yeah. And when I heard them, I couldn't tell when one song began and when one ended. But fortunately, Dave Liebman or whoever prepared this put the cuts in there. And you can hear some things. We'll try to give the audience a little guide, maybe about what makes one song different than the other. Because live, they they just flowed into each other. Yeah. We, we, you know, the audience could not tell yeah. what, what was happening. But that just added to the excitement and the mystery. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that was a big part of what this, even if you were a casual listener who didn't, you obviously had musical ambitions. I, and I, mm-hmm. I didn't, never heard you talk about this period of your life before. And you talk about the effort you made to get inside the music. But even if you didn't do that, even if you were a casual listener or you were indulging in whatever on a night out, uh, that vibe came through, that mystery and that... Uh, Absolutely. You know, the, the romance of it and the, the all those... That, that texture was very, very tangible. Uh, let me give you the rundown. So this was the working band at the time. It's January of 1974. Uh, Miles Davis, of course, is playing trumpet. He's also playing the organ. You'll hear him um, going to that instrument. And he's kind of conducting from organ, I think, too. And he's, Sometimes, yeah. yeah. And from the trumpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dave, so, and he, a couple of times he played trumpet and organ at the same time. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it's a Yamaha electric Yeah, I believe organ. so, yeah. Um, he's got uh, – so Dave Liebman's playing soprano, tenor, saxophone, and flute. Two guitars. Uh, Pete Cozy – is playing guitar and percussion. Pete Cozy's playing, I think, pretty much all the leads, right? As far as I know, all the solos. And Reggie Lucas playing rhythm guitar, not to be overlooked at all. Michael Henderson on electric bass. And Al Foster, as you said, playing drums. And M. Tume playing conga and other percussion. And it's, uh, yeah, it's January 26th, 1974. We are in Willimantic, Connecticut. We're at the Shabu Inn. And... Young David Soldiers in the front row, soaking it all in. Yeah, and I can't believe Ross Moshe found 
found, found this thing. I was like, I, I told him about the concert. I said, this was so important to me. And he says, yeah, somebody somebody bootlegged it. This is a, this is a white whale. It truly is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we are off to Willimantic. And it's WKCR. You're listening to Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman here with Dave Soldier. And this is live music you've probably never heard from Miles Davis. Yeah. 
We are in Willimantic, Connecticut at the Shabu Inn. It's January of 1974. There's a live recording from the WKCR archives. And our guest tonight on Deep Focus, Dave Soldier. He's there. You see him? Actually, if you do want to see him, this is kind of cool and, and crazy, actually. This is like really just beyond. In addition to all the things we were talking about, I don't know if you're just tuning in. If you are, welcome. And uh, Dave, you did a great job setting the table and telling us where we are in the, in the life of you as an emerging musician and Miles Davis' band. But the one thing we didn't say is that you found a picture. And this wasn't, like, from your camera or anything. You found this online. No, I only saw it, like, a week ago. Yeah, of the band on stage at the Shabu Inn. And there in the front row is young you. Yeah. That's, <laughs> like, unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. It <laughs> is a yeah, yeah. utter madness. Yeah. So uh, in case anybody has a doubt, you can take a look. If you Google it, you'll find it. But you can also, actually, you can look. It's on your Facebook. It's on my Facebook page. It's also on Instagram. We have. You drew a, a halo around me. <laughs> either I did it, or. Required. Might be a, just a Russian icon, you know. Oh, that's it, yeah. But uh, it's on, I do have an Instagram. Deep Focus has an Instagram page. It's Deep Focus Podcast. If you're on Instagram, look at Deep Focus Podcast, and you'll see this photo. It's amazing. So, all right, we're in it now, man. You've been waiting. We're in the you came, first set. You were there all last night, waited the whole night, nothing happened. Came back tonight, waited from 8 o'clock until midnight. Yeah, I think, yeah. And now, and the guys came on stage, and it's just off to the races, huh? And, and I'd never heard anything like it. And I don't think anybody in the audience had. We didn't know this aspect. Of, we didn't know about the what he, what Miles and the band were doing at that at that point. Um, I think I actually, just being a you know a a, 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 a jazz fan, you know, a, a teenage jazz fan. I think I knew about Al Foster because he was playing with you know a, a lot of groups, but. Um, I certainly didn't imagine him doing this kind of drumming, you know, because this drumming, to me, I mean, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's Al Foster for sure. He's an incredible Still, musician. Yeah. Uh, but uh, just the style that he was playing, and you could say, oh yeah, it comes out of a lot. I, th I hear a lot of Sly in the Family Stone and a lot of this music, but not necessarily with Al. He was just playing his own own way. I, I don't know who plays like him. And on top of that, I don't know a guitar player even now, even now that I can think of, that plays like Pete Cozy. Yeah, I just was thinking think about this it. too. Yeah, I mean, he, gosh, you know. And, of course, there's no trumpet player that sounds like Miles. I mean, right. we just got, while, while we were off, uh, you know, while, while we were listening, you got a call from Graham Haynes. And Hello, Graham. Graham can, can sound, you know, Oh, there were echoes, you know, but but I mean the the way Miles was playing, well, the way Miles always played, but specifically in this period, there wasn't anybody sounding like him, and I don't still. Yeah, yeah, still, and and I have to say the same thing about M. Tume, right? Because yeah. I, you know, I've been listening to the great conga players forever, and and uh, 
most of them play a thing that comes out of a particular tradition, you know, a tradition from Cuba. Mtume is doing something very different. And um, I, I imagine a great deal of it came out of West African drumming, and I, I think he had specific teachers. And I know he's Jimmy Heath's kid, you know, son. Um, but he just has his own way of playing. There's none of that do dink, blah, blah, dink, blah, blah. Instead, it's a lot of very practice determined rhythms that go against the rhythm. So if you only had, I mean, this is even without Reggie Lucas. So you can see I'm, I'm being a real fanboy here, but I'm saying, go. what an astonishing rhythm section. So you got yeah. these three gigantic soloists, of course, Miles, and then Dave Liebman is playing absolutely beautifully. And Pete Cozy, you know, nobody can play like them. But then you have this rhythm section that still nobody can play like. It's still the rhythm section of the future. And if it was just Al Foster and uh, M. Tume, already the rhythms are, are they, they sound like, uh, to me, uh, some kinds like some kinds of West African music. So there's the Ave music, E W E. Um, that was a big influence on a lot of musicians, including Steve Reich. You know, Steve Reich sounds very uh, well pressed. Yeah. You know, compare, but but you know the 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 way the rhythms are going against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, one person's in one rhythm, another person in another rhythm, but they start. And at different places, and then they match up. At least that's what it sounds like to me. And I think one, a tune we're going to hear, the one after this, tune in five specifically. So, well, maybe we'll wait to talk about it. But I think there's a that was done with a very specific pattern, I believe. Um, for Dave, so one of the things is that was what we heard just heard was we, for Dave. Yeah. So Miles is you know would often name. His tunes after player, he's, he had a tune called Willie Nelson. Right? Yeah, yeah. So he would the, right around this time too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he would name songs for his players or other players or friends or what what have you. So this one's for Dave. Obviously, it's for Dave Lieben. And we're going to hear later a second version of it from the same night, which doesn't sound very much like this version that you just heard. So you say, what is it that gives the identity to these songs? Now, when this was live, they were pretty much, we're taking a break now, but part of that is I'm thinking that for listeners, it's actually good to take a little break because the music is, as you heard, is very intense. Yeah. Um, And just think about what we just heard and what we're going to hear. So um, you go like, why is one tune called for Dave? And then an hour and a half later, they're playing another song. Apparently it's also called for Dave. And I think it's the, the vamps of the rhythm section often. There's only one tune here we're going to hear today that actually has what jazz musicians would call a head that has a melody that comes back several times. None of the other ones do. So I would say um, that For Dave has a particular bass line that's in both versions, and I think that's probably what defined it as one song versus another. I I don't even hear, it could be there, but I don't even hear a common melody between the, the two versions. I just hear the common bass line. You know, I don't know how much stock we can necessarily put in these titles because... Well, know, some of them are definitely correct. Like the Agarda player lute is co- correct and 
Calypso Free Limo and Ife, those are correct. But some of the other ones, uh, yeah. And, and they, they go, you know, live, they went one to another. I don't think that there was a break during the sets. Uh, again, that was part of the, the mystery. What are they doing now? Yeah. You know, why are they all changing? Yeah. But uh, I think to the players, Miles would do something and they'd go like, okay, we're going on to the, the next one. Um, there is a article by Dave Liebman on the web, it's easy to find, about playing with this band in the 70s. He said, just as you would suspect, no charts. Right. No, no harmonies written down at all. Um, and he had to play immediately. I, I don't even know if there was a rehearsal. So you just had to fly by the seat of your pants and figure it out. Nonetheless, as you'll hear on the last tune on the set, they did they did have a head, which is sort of a sly or James Brown type head, that that they a head meaning a melody um, that they would play several times, but mostly no. So the next one we're going to hear there is a little phrase. So this one is also played twice in the night, and I do think it's accurate. It's just the only thing. It's called turnaround phrase. It's also on one of the studio records. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe the studio record version also doesn't sound like either of these two live versions. But there's a little phrase, and it's a very little phrase. It's just da 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 That's it. Okay? Uh, and it shows up in, you know, once in a while as this is happening. And But otherwise... We're going to hear turnaround phrase, and then there's another version. Um, one of them is much faster than the other. Um, there are all sorts of changes uh, and, and differences um, between the two versions. One of them, um, if this is, yeah, it will be the next one, is really in two. It's, it's uh, just a, it's, it's like if, if this band uh, was the progenitor to a lot of different kinds of music, one of them should be hardcore because it's just boom, cha, boom, cha, boom, cha. Al Foster hitting the hell out of the backbeat and, and really fast. Uh, this version, um, if I have it right, if I have the two versions right, is, is not quite as fast. And just to listen to what gives the song something that pulls it together with the other turnaround phrase, songs called turnaround phrase, I'd listen for that little, that little riff. Which can show up in all sorts of unexpected places during the solos. David Soldier is my guest. The show is called Deep Focus, and this is what we do. We've got a live, unreleased recording of a killer band on a great night in January of 1974 when young David Soldier was in the audience. And uh, you have gone on to uh to start disturb people career. all over disturb many people <laughs> yes you have and uh disturb many music lovers you know it's i'll tell you it's funny I, sidebar i was just poking around and one of my favorite things that you did that's still, i know what you're gonna say i'm sure you're you gonna are. say dancing with miley cyrus that too oh that wasn't the one you were gonna say it's not Although I did have the pleasure of seeing this man dancing on stage at the... With Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> and this little kid. And this little girl, yeah. Miley, who was on, uh, at the uh, Pyramid Arena in Memphis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we played the 25th anniversary of Elvis's death. Yeah. That, that was I a great I have to tell you, if too. we have time, I have to tell you about 
Michael Jackson and uh, being on the on the set. I mean, you were yeah, there. Yeah, he was so. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, but you you weren't in the green room. You were you were working. He came so into the green. Room? Yeah, I have to tell you that story. But later, was, I mean, we're gonna. We're, yeah, it was that was crazy. it was pretty funny. That was a crazy night. Yeah, but uh, well worth discussing it. But um, no, I was thinking of your most unwanted song. Oh yeah, which is endlessly charming. And you did the most wanted song and the most unwanted song based mm-hmm. on uh, some uh, polling information. Polling, yeah, from, yeah. But um, no, I was reading the comments. And I don't know. On, and if you go on YouTube and look most unwanted song, you'll find David Soldier's mm-hmm. piece of music, which is a great thing to listen to. And um, But the, the listeners, people who had found this, were so impassioned. <laughs> Their comments. And I mean, you know, and some of it's very For funny. and against. Both, yeah, both, mostly four though, mm-hmm. and where people are like, I can't believe someone did this, <laughs> and everyone in the world must hate this except me, and there's thousands of comments just yeah, like yeah. that, and they are really like, I mean, people are are profoundly moved by this experience and just the bravura of coming up with it and executing it, and of course, you know, and it's. There's tuba and opera singers and rapping, and it's really it's a riot. But um, no, I mean you you talk about you know yeah. There's I'm sure there's a rotten tooth kind of delight in horrifying people's music, but those are the very things that draw people in as well. And this music, uh, not to overextend the comparison, but Miles Davis music, you're listening to it now. I think it probably still sounds uh, extraordinarily vibrant at the time. A lot of people were revived. Oh, even people that I really respected were really upset. So a year later, I started taking music lessons with Roscoe Mitchell. He lived in a farm outside of East Lansing. I went to Michigan State, and he was live. He wasn't a faculty member or anything. He just was living in a farm in Langsburg, Michigan. And Roscoe really he he loved dancing in your head, but interesting but, by Ornette. But he could couldn't take little- this one. Oh, boat. sorry. Yeah, yeah so he uh, he really didn't like uh, he didn't he didn't like this band that was happening at the time. So even people I really respected just didn't, you know. Uh, but I think it was, I think part of it was, I mean, for the more traditional people, this would not be Roscoe Mitchell. I mean, Roscoe understands the tradition from the bottom up, but uh, this wouldn't turn them off. Some of them got turned off by the lack of uh, of of clear harmonies. But I think people were able. There's a lot of harmony in this. There but the, is a, the harmony is jumping at you. It's a surprise, and often it's from the clusters that that Miles is playing on the organ. But also sometimes it's from Reggie Lucas. So like you're saying, he's not soloing, so you tend not to focus on him so much. But you got to listen to what he's doing on the rhythm guitar. There's a lot there. So they're kind of they're kind of doing between Reggie Lucas and Pete Cozy. They're kind of doing what a good keyboard player would do, in a sense, you know, um, but with very different personalities. So you have to listen to that, too. So there's actually a lot of harmony going on, but that doesn't mean that the harmony is, is regular and it's going to show up every eight bars, right? It's not. Um, and, and if you just listen to, like, what Dave Liebman was doing, he was playing notes from everywhere. Right, and he has to jump to what the rest of the group is doing. Boom! You have to go right there. Same thing with Pete Cozy. He has to go, boom, right there with what everybody else is doing. They have to follow him. So I think the uh, 
you know, what makes a great band is listening. And yes. I think these people, this band was really listening. And not yep. just to the leader. They're really listening. Um, and that's what still makes us the music of the future, even now. Absolutely. This is still, this is still music which is too contemporary to have been recorded. But I'm afraid it was recorded in 1974. It's remarkable. Yeah. And if you went 50 years before that or 48 years before that, what are we talking? 1926. Right. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you could say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Stravinsky is still doing music that still could sound like music of the future. But this, you know, so not to say that you can't do music of the future even in 1926, but this one very, very clearly still sounds. I think if you play this for any music lover in 2022, they're like, what the, if they don't know what this is, what the hell is this? I've never heard anything like that. When's that going to come out? Well, also, you know, one of the things at that time, one of the things that the jazz heads were dismissive of was that, oh, it's just, they're just vamping. They're just playing on a vamp. There's one chord. What's that? But yeah, but that's, yeah, if, not listening very deep. They're not yeah, this is called deep, deep, right, deep, deep focus. focus yeah. If you listen to the, amount the, the vocabulary of variation that takes place within that mm. and the way it continues to evolve and the, the way the textures change and the way with a small turn I think and you talked about miles conducting um, one of the things I mentioned Graham Haynes calling and he really got inside this band and did a terrific deep focus with me on it which you can look for. Um, I will. Yeah, absolutely. The Deep Focus podcast. There's hundreds of episodes there. Graham, this is really remarkable. The very next week, they played in Boston. Mm. And Graham's father was is Roy Haynes. Mm. But it was Graham's mother was actually friendly with Miles. And mm. Graham's mother mm. introduced him to Miles. Mm. And Graham ended up hanging around in front of Miles's house listening to this band rehearse until he got invited in. And he, oh, I'm, wow. I can't do justice to the story he told on the air about how that happened. But he <laughs> literally gave this fly on the wall kind of breakdown of this band. And I say this to say that uh, he kind of elucidated how much M2 May had to do with mm -hmm. band leading and mm -hmm. directing the flow mm -hmm. and the rhythm. And yeah, there's an enormous amount going on. In I'm here. glad to know that, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. It seemed like it seems like M2MA is, is kind of responsible for telling the band what kinds of rhythm they're 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 going to do. That that's kind of the 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 feeling. Well, see what you can hear in there. Find and your way into it. Insisting that it's not going to be boom, chuck, boom. You know, he's he's doing stuff that in, insists that it goes somewhere more polyrhythmic. Like I'm saying, we, we agree on this. I mean, he doesn't, I, I just don't know other conga players that play like that. Even even now, I don't know. It's remarkable. I'll tell you what, and when we come back, if you're, I don't want to put you on the spot, hmm. but I have a feeling you are maybe able and willing to do a little disquisition on the unique story and performance of Pete Cozy as well. Oh, yeah. Because that, I mean, really... I wish so we had some time to listen to Electric Mud, <laughs> the Muddy Waters record with so, Pete Cozy. So much, so much music. Okay, all right, we're going to go back in to... So the show's called Deep Focus, 
I am your host, Mitch Goldman, and we are, uh, I should tell you, you're listening to WKCR-FM New York, WKCR-HD1. You can find us at WKCR.org. You can tell your friends around the world that they can find us there and listen live. There's also a podcast of this program, so next week uh, this will go up and join hundreds of other episodes on your favorite podcasting app. You can find Deep Focus. And uh, if you don't see it there, the hosting site is mitchgoldman.podbean.com. And I've also gotten some feedback. Um, It's kind of hard to go back and find your way through. There's so many episodes. You can go to my website, which is mitchgoldman.com, and pull down the About Deep Focus tab. And there's a little Google search bar there. You can type in the name... David Soldier or Miles Davis, and these links will come up, or Graham Haynes, and um, all kinds of stuff to search there. In fact, and there's also a list of every show going back with the date and everything. So um, got a few people that are really paying attention. If this music is new to you, well, you're in for a treat, and it might take the top of your head clean off. It's great that you're putting <laughs> this uh, that you're putting this in the library because they, it is on unofficial it's not officially released no no and this stuff turns up in the archives here at wkcr and um it's just it's a privilege to be able to bring it to you folks by the way the uh all that uh, podcast stuff i was talking about it's all free ad free never ask you for a penny or to put your attention towards anything other than what we're doing on the show. So. Okay, so turn around phrase. It's a long piece. Listen for it. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Just so you can hear what, to my ear at least, pulls the two versions of turn around phrase together. Otherwise, they're nothing like each other. Live music. You've never heard from Miles Davis. It's Deep Focus. There it is on WKCR.
that is part one of three parts of this program that aired Monday, December 12th, 2022, 6 p.m., three-hour show. So there's two more parts of this program that you can go and check out on the Deep Focus podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. You know, I was just listening. Actually, I was listening to Deep Focus. I don't get to listen to the show, right? I'm so busy hosting and engineering and everything. And I was listening to it on Spotify, and I saw that there are no uh, likes or reviews listed over there. And apparently, they don't post it. They don't post the likes and reviews unless they reach some critical number of them, which they apparently haven't reached. Here's what I'm hoping is once we hit that number, that more people are going to find the show through Spotify and listen to it. So if you want to share the music that you are enjoying, the program that you're digging, then uh, go find it on Spotify and just listen to part of one episode and just give us five stars over there, if you don't mind. We don't make you listen to ads. We don't ask you for any money. Uh, I'm asking you for that. Just give a little something back like that, if you don't mind. And the beauty is that more people are going to love the music you love. Isn't that cool? All right. Hey, I'll see you over at part two. David Soldier on the topic of Miles Davis, December 12th, 2022.